language and culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of All Things Iceland and blogger at From Foreign to Familiar, The Journey of a Budding Polyglot. And I'm coming at you today with an awesome interview that I had the privilege of conducting with Jesse Bayak, who is the professor of Old Norse and Medieval Scandinavian Studies at UCLA, as well as Hauskoli Islands, which is the University of Iceland here in Reykjavik. And I met Jesse at the Polyglot Conference in Iceland at the end of October in 2017. He was standing at a table that had two books laying on it. Both of these books have the same striking image and they just drew me in. I was so fascinated by it, the images that I picked up the books almost involuntarily and started flipping through. And when I look up, I see Jesse staring back at me. <laughs> uh, so I decide to introduce myself and we start talking about the books, particularly um, the what you can learn in these specific books around Old Norse, runes, Icelandic sagas. They're chock full of information about history and, of course, grammar lessons for all of those who are interested in that aspect of it. And as he told me more about himself, I realized that he's a fascinating human being that would be a great person to feature um, for on this show, this podcast. And in addition to being a professor, he is an archaeologist who did this really cool dig in Mosvetsdalur, which is not too far from where I live in Mosvetsbyd. So really cool just to have that kind of connection. And we also talk about in the interview this revelation that I had <laughs> about the relationship between Old Norse and Old English. And he verifies my hunch in regards to the relationship between those two. So I hope that you enjoy listening to this interview. In the show notes, you'll be able to see a picture of the image of the book that, that we talk about, as well as where you can find the book and just some more information about Jesse. If you've enjoyed listening to this interview, please subscribe to either my newsletter or RSS feed in order to keep up to date with any new podcast as well as blog post. Okay, enjoy! Jesse, thank you for sitting down with me to talk about your book, Viking Language One, which you have written many books. However, today we're just going to stick to Viking Language One, which when I got here to your beautiful apartment in downtown Reykjavik, I found out, much to my surprise and elation, that you have a second edition coming out for this specific book. So um, let's first start off, though, with talking about what sparked your interest in studying Old Norse and medieval Scandinavian studies. What sparked my... Well, that's a good question. Um, you know what? When I was 13 years old, during a summer, I read the Saga of the Volsungs, which is the one that is about Sigurd the Dragon Slayer, and uh, it's the one that Tolkien used. It's got the Ring of Power and Wagner used, and uh, I just loved it. And I've always been interested in this stuff. And in a strange part of my life, I ended up living here in Iceland and working on uh, sheep farms up in the northern fjords and stuff. And uh, I spent a few years here. 
And then I went back to school. And uh, um, Old Norse and Icelandic have always been a part of what I do. And, and basically, I'm, a, I'm an archaeologist, and I write about the sort of society and history of Iceland. But the language, when I went back to school, um, I did a whole set of uh, linguistics about, because that's what they were teaching. And uh, years later, I just decided I'd write this book. Nice. That's awesome. And where, do you have any family ties, such as you know, Norse background, Scandinavian culture in your family? Or is it you just read this as a 13-year-old and were like, yeah, this yeah. totally resonates with me, and yeah. that's where... Actually, it's a, it's a strange thing, but my, my father lived in Sweden for a while okay. in the late 1930s, and he was... Um, uh, uh, he was an, an anti-Nazi at the time. Okay. And uh, so it's, it's always been, Scandinavia's always been part of the family. So, um, yeah. And um, I was interested in it. And, and I remember him telling me about Copenhagen and uh, Stockholm yeah. and, and the area during the period. So it, it just seemed natural. Nice. And how long have you been teaching these specific subjects? Uh, uh, for a while, I um, actually when I went back to school, I, I ended up uh, in in several places. But uh, one was at the University of Lund in Sweden, and then I went to Harvard, and then I got a job. While I was doing it, I, I always said that you know I wanted to learn about Vikings and the, the society and whatnot. People, my teachers always told me, never get a job. <laughs> never. But anyway, I did get, I, I did get, I got, I got a PhD out of Harvard. Yeah. And, and then I got a job at UCLA. And uh, I've been there. And uh, at this time, I'm a research professor at UCLA. And, and I'm also a professor at the University of Iceland. So I and I go back and forth between the two. Okay, so that's how you split your time, is yeah. teaching young minds about Norse studies and medieval yeah. um, Scandinavian studies. Okay. And when you decided to put together this book, Viking Language One in particular, even though there is a, it's a two-parter, right? So it's language part one and part two, uh, did you have a type of learner in mind? So was it a person that is specifically a language learner? Is it... A Norse history buff or enthusiast, or is it like a mix of some of these individuals? Okay, there's a, f a few questions. The yes. first thing <laughs> is, I decided to, to do this book very early on because when I got my job, which, which in fact was really hard to get because there aren't many jobs teaching Old Norse, mm -hmm. Uh, there are only two people in my class, and I was thinking, oh, there are only goodness. two people. There are only two people, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, they're going to get rid of me pretty soon. So, uh, and this at UCLA, that, or? this was at UCLA. So I started developing course materials to make it easier. And the real problem was, and it's been the problem, and I think until these books have come out, is that the books that we use? There's a, there's a very famous book. It's called Gordon's Old Norse, and it's a wonderful book. But it was written in 1926, and it was written for British uh, university students who came from usually uh, what they call public school, but private schools, and they had eight years of Latin and three years wow. of Greek. And this book doesn't explain anything wow. about the grammar. Yeah. Okay. Our students today. Uh, to answer your question, uh, our students today, you know, are really interested in their uh, intelligent whatnot, but they don't have the training anymore. 
in these languages, and many of them really don't have training in grammar, right. which used to be part of the curriculum. So um, the book is designed for uh, people who want to learn language, and it, it's designed um, to teach the, the, the essentials of language. So you really learn a lot about English out of it. Yes. Then. I thought that was actually one of the most fascinating parts, uh. is the uh, similarity between Old English and Old Norse and how you point that out in the book. And actually, it's funny, I made a joke about this at the Polygot right. conference last weekend, uh, or the weekend before last, that if you were to phrase questions similarly in Old English, you could understand uh, old, old Norse, or at least Icelandic. And, yeah, no, Old Norse and, and, and Old English were mutually intelligible. Yeah, and and that's that's part of what I was trying to do in the book. That I was yeah. making some connection. It was just yeah. a joke, because you know, yeah. it's Shakespeare in high school, and you're just like, why do these people speak this way? And then all of a sudden, yeah. you're like, wait, in Icelandic, if I... Directly translated, it sounds almost exactly the same. So I think that's a fascinating find, and maybe something that uh, in this book relates it so much to English that it doesn't feel so foreign. And that's pretty nice to know that like there's so many similarities to a language that we're already very familiar with, English speakers for that matter. So Old Norse doesn't seem so scary. And then, of course, it doesn't make... That's, that's actually, you know, yeah. first of all, the, the book is also designed, it, it occurred to me along the way, and I think, I think it's what's really happening, there's an awful lot of people out there who really love language and they're really interested in uh, Old Norse and Old English and, and the two go very well together. But uh, what I was trying to do was do a book, and I think that's why it took me so long, do a <laughs> book where, where all the questions that you have, since there's no one to really ask the questions to, have to be explained in the book mm -hmm. and um, to draw the similarities between English. And it explains why, you know, you should say, you know, when you answer the phone instead of it's me, it should be it is I. Yeah, it is I. <laughs> You're already right on your the way. Grammar, uh, you know, back there. And then you understand these things. Yeah. And I, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So it was also, also the part is because I'm, I'm an archaeologist and I, I'm interested in society and history. It seemed to me that one of the most interesting things about the Vikings, about Old Norse, about the society, is the history and the geography and the exploration. So I put that in there. And that took, that took a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I'm just curious now that you've put this together, do you use it within your class in order to help? Is, that, is it, you know... Uh, I use it as a textbook for the yes, class, and, and, and it's been adopted now in, in you know, many colleges, awesome. universities. Yeah. It's especially... They, uh, they seem to like it in Scandinavia and Britain and in the States. So, yeah. you know, it's... Even though it's, it's been... very understandable without a teacher, in my opinion. Like, I've been yeah. reading it. Granted, I've been exposed to Icelandic maybe a, a lot more, but uh, I feel like it is easy to delve into as an individual. Yeah. Even though it would be great to have, you know, class structure just to keep people kind of accountable and <laughs> doing the work. Um, but I, I'm appreciative of the history that goes along with it. So it keeps you interested in different. And then you have exercise and then you kind of go to the next like history, culture part of it. Uh, I think it's well structured and I, I really appreciate that. So um, how long though? You keep saying that you, you took you a long time to put this together. How long are we talking? Well, here's the thing. It took <laughs> about 20 years. The trouble is I didn't really do it all the time, but I, and I, I spent a great deal of time doing it. And then the, um, you know, I have this, uh, these excavations at Mosfell in Iceland and they became a full-time job and I was here in Iceland. So I, I let it sit for a number of years, but every time I taught Old Norse and I teach Old Norse all the time, uh, 
um, I would go over and fix and fix and fix and fix. Mm -hmm. And then a few years ago, it just occurred to me that if I didn't finish it, so I finished it. And, uh, and, then, and then I divided into two books because um, there's a reader that goes along with it, and that's Viking language too. And the, the reader has longer sections. So in the first book, there are, of course, reading passages, but you want to do the grammar and the history and all, and you want to move along. Mm -hmm. And then the second book, you, you, you work with it. And it's turned out to be a, a good solution. Instead of making one of these really thick, heavy yeah. books, it's divided into two books, and people can use it as they want. But you, you asked the question of, you know, it seems that you just can pick it up. That was one of the goals. It was designed to be also for people who are not part of a class. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, and while you were researching and writing the book over the course of 20 years, and this is probably going to be one of those <laughs> questions that, you know, you're like, of course there's things that I learned because it's 20 years, but is there anything that you learned that was really new? I mean, being a person who was teaching this topic, as you were writing it, is it, you know, just testing it out on people and seeing like, oh, maybe this is a better structure or even information that you were putting into the book? Is there anything that you learned? Oh, yeah, that, that, that was the fun of it, is that the first thing is um, that I, I learned a huge amount. And second of all, it's like writing a puzzle because each of the little sections about the grammar um, you try to explain. The trouble was that the, the, the older books don't explain any of this, so it meant that I had to sort of figure out what I was doing each time. And I like puzzles, so that each little section is very satisfying. You do something, and then, and then a little later, I would teach it a year later, and I would use the materials, and then I'd sit, I'd go up my office after, just, I made it a point. Every time I taught the class, I would go uh, and sit down for about an hour and think out, how I taught it, mm -hmm. and and really, that's one of the differences between textbooks and and really teaching is when you're standing in front of a class and you're actually explaining something, it comes out very differently mm -hmm. than it was written, and um, I tried to sort of harmonize those two. That's really cool, and I think, like you mentioned, it's that can be missing a lot from books when they're just mm -hmm. sitting and it's only them and thinking about how their viewpoint and how people should learn it, but that's. A privilege in a way to be able to teach it and then take that information and put it into a book because not everyone has that standpoint where they're a professor of this specific topic and and can then create a book that is fits for everyone and they, they're kind of almost studying how people learn using that and, and implementing it and I yeah okay fascinating I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised to hear that and I, I think that is mainly because I've seen so many textbooks in life not specifically about Old Norse but just in general and you feel like you're being talked at, and not it's not a collaboration, you know? And Yeah, you know what, I, I appreciate your saying that, because actually, uh, one of the things was, is that um, I was, would ask my students about, you know, what is it that you didn't understand about this? So it, it, it is, in many ways, a collaboration. Right. Nice. And do you have, oh, you mentioned um, Sigurd, but do you have a favorite Icelandic saga? Is it that one, or is it... Some other saga that it just really captivates you? Well, uh, let me tell you, I, I, I have several favorites, and, <laughs> and it's a tough one because there are different kinds of sagas. Mm -hmm. There are sagas like uh, the Volsung saga, the saga of the Volsungs, the saga of Rolf Kraki, which are the great stories of the heroes of Scandinavia before Iceland was settled in the ninth century. And that their stories that come from the myths of time and yeah. the dark forests of northern Europe. Uh, going back to you know 
who knows when. Uh, and then there are the Icelandic family sagas about the Icelanders in Iceland once they had settled on farms and then they started killing each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I think it's is, really nothing dark, Nothing has right? changed today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you get your sagas, well, the Icelandic sagas, you, get, you bought them in Iceland. Is that where your resource was or were you just finding them from different places? Uh, no, you know, I, 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 I lived in Iceland since my 20s and... And um, so I, I basically uh, done most of the work here. Okay. And I did it a lot when I was doing the archaeology. You know, it was uh, sometimes you sit around. The archaeology would sometimes go on for a month and a half. And, okay. you know, yeah, it's you sort of a hobby. Doing yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, it turned out uh, surprisingly. Uh, hobbies are more fun if they have sort of a purpose to them, I think. So. Agreed. Agreed. That's why I do this. Yeah, this is my hobby. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is, yeah. yeah. It's fun for me because I get yeah. to meet different people, but also just learn. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm nosy, but I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that in yeah. your blog. <laughs> so uh, what do you feel is the biggest takeaway for a person reading and doing the exercises in your book? Well, first of all, you almost get two languages. Um, Old Norse is so similar to modern Icelandic. Uh, the grammar is about 90% the same. The words are the same. In other words, you know, I use a word frequency. That's one of the things that I decided from the start, mm -hmm. is that the, I have the 246 most frequent words in the sagas. It turns out that statistically they make up about 90% of all the single words that are used throughout the sagas. Wow. And you get all the irregular verbs and you get the, the important nouns and those are the ones that I teach. The thing is that among those words you have things like king, mm -hmm. uh, sword, spear, and those are still good words in modern Icelandic and they still work the same, the grammar works, mm -hmm. except, you know, of course, they're not the most important words anymore. But the word for man, mother, is. So um, that's the first thing you get out of it, is you, you get Old Norse, which means you can read the sagas and you learn a lot about uh, English and you learn a lot about Old English and uh, a good deal about how language works. One of the, one of the things is that if, if a person knows grammar, they can actually learn languages much faster. Mm -hmm. um, you know, an adult comes at it differently than a child. So and a child just listens and catches it. But an adult, if it knows structure, and, and that's something I, I was interested in teaching, because it, it, as I have taught the class over the years, the more the students understand the distinctions in nouns, verbs, mm -hmm. adverbs, and adjectives, then the easier it gets. But the, the other thing is, um, you learn to um, have an entry into one of the, the great literatures of the world. The, the, the thing about the um, sagas are, it's a huge literature mm -hmm. and it's so interesting. So you have the family sagas about Icelanders, you have the Sturtlung sagas about 13th century feuds among chieftains, and then you have these, what we call the Fortenaldarsurga, the, the sagas of old ages or mythic mm -hmm. legendary sagas which are Sigurd the Dragon Slayer, King Rolf Kraki. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting. I, I don't think I was 
aware, and I'm actually, I'm sure I wasn't aware of how many different sagas there are because it's this, it's just like 60 of them. Yeah. It's put out yeah. there. It's just like, you know, the sagas and it's like, Oh, okay. Those that's great. But then, oh, yeah. but then the classifications, it's, oh, yeah. I think that's quite, oh. um, nice to familiarize yourself with just so that you realize that there's more experience you can get or just different perspectives, you know, stories. So, okay. You know, there's another thing too. Um, there's this enormous poetry and the poetry is about often the gods and the great heroes and uh, your Viking society, they told poetry and uh, that's what that's what warriors actually did. Yeah. And then there's the mythological text, which interests me uh, tremendously, and I, I translated for Penguin, the uh, prose at and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you, knowing knowing this language, you get a vast entry into a medieval world. Yeah, that's. I'm more. I'm very interested in reading more of the sagas, or and just kind of delving into it because I think just in Iceland, like this weather, for instance, right? This is like very cozy weather today. It's cloudy and icy and a, little, a lot colder, and it just feels like this is one of those places where the mythical starts to become almost um, so feeling real, like possible, yeah. to, because of how things are and the wind on Sunday. Yeah, where it was yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. This is a storm that was, you know, t- power outages and. And so strong, I think in our house in Moso, it was actually shaking just a little. And I was like, okay, well, this is Iceland, right? And I think that's really fascinating. Um, And I'm sure you've probably, living here for this long, too, maybe felt like when you go out into nature. Yeah, I had a chair. You know, as you're talking about this terrible windstorm we had, (laughs) which was great. You know, to me, it's part of Iceland. Yeah, exactly. That's just what it is. But uh, in the middle of it, the the window, which looks out onto the, the... the porch here mm-hmm. started banging and I realized one of my chairs was flying up and down wow. the porch so I had to go out in the wind and grab the damn thing <laughs> it's dancing and pull it in yeah, yeah. dancing with cowder yeah. right <laughs> listen I, I, you, you, I, you know it's funny uh, I, I've never really sat down and, and answered some of these questions that you're asking but the other thing you get out of it is runes so mm-hmm. the books are called Viking language because there's always a nationalistic thing in Scandinavia that they're Danish Vikings and Swedish Vikings and Norwegian Vikings and Icelandic people during that period. And um, in fact, you can put a stress on the difference or you can see the, the common culture and the, the common um, religious practices and, and uh, mythology. And they also, from the runes, the book teaches a lot of runes. And people are really interested in runes. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a, an advanced thing. But to me, it's a way of getting into the real speech of the Vikings. So it's, it's a blend of um, Icelandic sagas, which we've been talking a lot about. Mm-hmm. But also, the runic writing is people who are writing the language of the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries. And yeah. that's the closest you'll get to Viking language. Yeah. And uh, you learn that too, and I, I think they're fun. And yeah, I, yeah, I have absolutely. noticed mm-hmm. students really like that. Mm-hmm. That's another reason they're in there. Yeah, there's um, an interesting amount of people who, in Iceland at least, I've found who get tattoos of runes, yeah. including Björk. I think I believe she has one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of people who are, feel very connected to these images, or you know, letters. Would you call it? Or yeah, it's an alphabet. Yeah. the runes are an alphabet. Um, do you have a 
Rune. I don't have a rune tattoo. <laughs> I don't have a rune tattoo. Just to clear I, that up for everybody. I, I, you I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed there's so many tattoo parlors now mm-hmm. in Reykjavik that all I have to do is walk around the corner to get one. They just opened one up around really? the corner. Wow. Yeah, a new There's always something different popping up downtown now. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, um, the figure on the cover of the book, this mythical animal, um, what is that? Oh, that, that's from the Osaberry ship. That, that is uh, dug up from a burial in Norway on the Oslo Fjord, which is a ship burial, from the, uh, somewhere around 900. Wow. And it's, it's, a, it was, it's actually part of a cart that was found in the longship. And uh, it's a dragon head. And okay. on, on the books that I've done, I always try to have a face with a, a, a mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is, you know, yeah. Viking language. I'm okay. glad you like it. I, yeah, I, it's yeah. like it jumps out at you, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, what is this? Because it's hard to um, compare it to something now. And, you know, a little bit it has like a dog feature, but it's uh, not obviously a dog. And so it's just yeah, yeah. nagging at me like, what is this yeah, thing? Yeah. So... Okay, and for anybody picking up the book, you'll see that it's, it's So you can f- imagine he was speaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly, or blowing fire, maybe, who knows? There's so many possibilities. And, um, and for people who are curious about picking up the book, yeah. where can they find it? Okay, Amazon is the basic place. It's in bookstores. Um, my books have never actually done so well in bookstores because there's one up on the top shelf, one on the bottom <laughs> yeah. shelf. But... Um, you know, on the web, uh, where everybody, someone is, whether they're on California, New York, South Dakota, Thailand, Burma, yeah. you know, they're available. So um, we, we designed them to be sold uh, on Amazon. Yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. great. And you mentioned several times about your archaeological studies and work that you've done here in Iceland, particularly <laughs> in Mosvestalur, yeah. right? Right. Uh, it would be great you to... You pronounce that very well. Thank you. I live it. in Moso, so if I oh, didn't pronounce okay. it well, okay. I wouldn't be able to go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, could you explain the purpose of that project? Okay, yeah, this is called the Mosfeld Archaeological Project, and, and um, it's at the end of Eil Saga, which is one of the great uh, sagas of Iceland. The, the hero Eil is uh, buried... And they, they talk of, they give a description of his burial. And um, I used that description. There's been this long discussion of whether the sagas are very late and invented or they're, they actually contain information from the time of the period. And it seems to me they're a mixture of both. Yeah. And so I, I used, I was interested in, first of all, if, if an archaeologist is going to excavate, you want to really find something. And then the real trick is to <laughs> yeah. find something. Right. <laughs> okay, so um, I looked through a lot of texts and a lot of places, and I decided that uh, this saga tells you about a church and a longhouse and a graveyard and a great hero. So I went out there and talked to the farmer, and it turns out that behind the stables, um, and he said, you know, that they, they read the sagas, but... Nobody's ever really come out here. Mm. And behind the stables is called Kirkjuhok, yeah. which means church knoll. So it went up there, and it looked like a great place to excavate. And it turns out that that's a name that has been kept for a thousand years wow. because that's where the church and that's where the burial 
and out of that has come um, a very large longhouse. It's 29 yards or meters long, wow. and graveyards, and so we've been excavating that for years, and and um, we do it through the National Museum and through uh, UCLA and through the university here, and. Um, it's, it's been a lot That's of, amazing. it's been very interesting. So your yeah. hunch essentially about this possibly being true ended up being this big project. Yeah. You know what? Everything they just talk about in the sagas of, of where the churches are, where the graveyards are, where the, uh, long houses, it's all exactly it, at wow. that spot. So it was and like then, a, yeah. a map or directions to get you to Well, where... that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. uh, you know. And again, this, this folds into the great question of, of how to use the sagas, and then it gets back to the language. So uh, my students in archaeology and in old, have to learn Old Norse, mm -hmm. and we use the texts, and the texts have been extremely useful to us. And how many years are they studying in order to get to this point of feeling comfortable with reading the sagas? You know what? A, a one-year one course... Uh, the books are designed, and now you've got to the point where, you know, I'm not sure how I should say this, but <laughs> the books are designed for uh, a two-quarter course. Um, if you're in quarters, it's two quarters. It, it would be best for a year, but whatever. And after uh, you do the two books, you can read Old Norse, and nice. you can read the sagas. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. you're really familiar with modern Icelandic, so you'd probably be very fine with reading a lot of or decent amount of Yeah, yeah, you're well on the way to my... You know, as, as long as we're talking about the book, I, we should mention that there are audio uh, pronunciation, mm -hmm. MP3 downloads that go along with it. And that, that was something that... You know, all these good ideas, they take a while. Yes, it took about do. a year <laughs> out of my life to make those things. Yeah. And we have an Icelandic actress who, who uh, pronounces it a, a bit in the old way. Mm. But she has a wonderful voice, and it's a way to learn... Uh, pronunciation and it goes along with all the reading passages because yeah. that's one of the stumbling blocks that students have is you look at a passage and say how the heck do I mm -hmm. you know pronounce this damn yeah. stuff it, definitely yeah. intonation everything is yeah. is super important or to yeah, the intonation, and, she, and she's great on the intonation. She yeah. has a, a wonderful laughing voice. <laughs> nice. It's terrific. Awesome. Yeah. And were there any when you were digging ever or while you were doing this excavation? Were there any findings that you were just like, whoa, this is so cool? You mentioned like the longhouses and things, oh, but yeah. anything come up that... Everybody loves to dig a skeleton. <laughs> okay. Just, Your and, first skeleton head. And it's I'll really tell you what, one of the second skeletons, I, 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 as you know, I've written a few books. And what, mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Viking Age Iceland. It's a penguin book. And anyway... And I, and I talk about feud and how they control feud. And the first guy we really took out of the ground had an axe chop right through Ooh. his head. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so even like putting the pieces together of like... Yeah, no, no. His, his skeleton was, was totally intense. there. And in the new, the second edition of the book, which I, I put a picture of the guy. Okay. And sort of mentioned this is as close as we're going to come to an actual speaker of Old Norse. But wow. he, his skeleton was there. It's just the top of his head has an axe chop right through it. So it he died instantly. Okay. And he was buried right outside the church. Wow. Did it say anything in the sagas as to why? Did you have any... I'll tell you what. In the thing about Mosvel, and, and it's the farm of Hrisbru at Mosvel, is that it's mentioned in many sagas. Yeah. And um, there was an attack on it at dawn. Mm -hmm. And there was a feud. And... Um, 
they talk about uh, several people were killed. And we and here's one of the questions: You can't use the saga because they didn't have a bronze name tag in there. So this guy was killed. <laughs> right. This whatever, but you know, you have a text that talks about chieftains living there. The law speaker of Iceland lived there, and there was an attack on this farm, and people were killed. And then later, a thousand years later, when we dig up a skeleton, we find somebody with an axe chopped through the top of his head. Yeah. At least it's an indication right. that they were... <laughs> you know something happened and it's possibly that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> or some a really horrible incident. I mean, there's so many, I guess, possibilities, but it sounds more likely that it would be this Yeah, you don't, you don't drop an axe. He's <laughs> like, oops, sorry. He also had a sword <laughs> chop on the back of Ooh. his, 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 his so he head. He got it pretty bad, actually. Yeah, like. yeah. He... he um, Ended. We know a lot about him because we, we, we call him the axed man of Mosul. <laughs> uh, and uh, we analyzed his teeth and his, um, did isotopic. Analy- so it turns out he was a man, and from the sutures on, on the part of the skull that mm. was still there, you can see he was a man of about 45. Okay. His, his teeth have hyperplasia, which is um, a waviness in the, in the uh, lower part of the tooth, which comes when... As a, as a young boy, when his second teeth were coming in, he was under great stress, and it was probably malnutrition. And then from the bones uh, structure, the attachment of the um, uh, muscles, we can see that he had a hard life, and he worked hard, yeah. and he died um, rather quickly. Yeah. So we, we know a lot about this guy. Okay. That is fantastic. I love how... And he was also born in Iceland, or at least okay. at least after the year or two from the isotopes in the water, which then ended up in the enamel of the teeth and under the enamel. Yeah. We can tell that he, he um, uh, wasn't from another country. We, you know, sometimes people came from Norway, mm-hmm. but that he was Icelandic. Yeah. It's so. great how much science has evolved to allow us to kind of yeah. tell the stories of people of the past. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And, uh, oh, this... I'm just curious, you mentioned something about UCLA and Iceland. So was this excavation a collaboration of the universities or was like the government and like... Yeah, by the time we were done, actually it started out as um, uh, the government, the Icelandic government actually put in the seed money for it. Um, and then um, UCLA put in some money and then we had, we had large numbers of grants and the Norwegian Great. government put in money and the Icelandic government. And archaeology, you know, costs a lot of money. Yeah. You open up the ground, you throw in the money, you close up the ground. And how do the people feel that live in this area? Oh, they love it. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, oh, the farm, you know. Because they're learning too, I'm guessing, right? They're... Well, also, uh, the, the, the farmer is really proud that he has the farmstead of A. at Scott the Grimston. Yeah. You know, Ale, the son of Bald Grim, was on his, <laughs> he's the, the great saga hero. Yeah. Yeah, so. Very cool. Yeah, we... we Actually, that's part of why I think I continued, is it, we all became great friends. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun being in Mosostal. Yeah. I, yeah it's, I looked it up just to see how long it would take me by car. And it's like eight minutes to get to Mosostal. And I'm like, why haven't I gone here more often or something? <laughs> so, um, and in terms of, yeah, I asked you about your favorite Norse saga. But do you have an old Norse word or phrase that you like to use or that you, you find kind of... Kind of yeah, I have a phrase that I really like, and somewhere it's in Hauvamal. Hauvamal means Hauvamal. the sayings of the High One, and it's one mm. of these poetic, and the High One, of course, is Odin, 
and uh, somewhere in English um, it comes out to trust no ice until it's crossed. Mm. That's my model. Okay. That is a good <laughs> way of living, particularly in Iceland. I feel like right now it's icy right now. I loved it. I loved it. I can't even remember. I'm sure I've changed it from the yeah. original, but that's, okay. that's, that's what I got. Nice. But anyway. I'm going to remember that. It's a, it's a, I think it's pretty a good life model for a lot of people to keep in mind, for sure. So... Um, when did you, so you moved in your 20s, so you moved to Iceland quite a long time ago, mm-hmm. and did you have a familiarity with the language before you came? No, here? no, I, I got here. I actually was on, I flew Iceland there, which was very cheap, and I was <laughs> on the way to Europe, and I got off, I thought I'd spend a week in Iceland, and this was, uh, you know, a while back. And, in the winter uh, you, or summer? Uh, it was right at the start of the winter, wow. and uh, a year and a half later, I was... <laughs> You're still here. <laughs> You're like, man, I really missed right. that flight. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. I just never got back on the airplane. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, it's, and it's been a, it's been fun. And how yeah. is your experience with learning the language? Uh, it's a tough language. I remember when I, when I started, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. There really weren't any good textbooks. They, there are some now, and it's, it's much better in the, the uh, their tapes and stuff like that. But um, pretty soon, I ended up working on farms up in Hunavarsisa, which is in the northern fjords, and no, uh, nobody spoke English, mm. and all the farmers. And uh, I hear that's the key, right? To go yeah. somewhere where no one speaks yeah, English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it, there's a huge change in Iceland. When mm. I first got here, very few people spoke uh, English, just, just basically in the city, and they were mostly the educated people. Yeah. And, um, you know, now pretty much everybody can speak English. So was it just obviously enjoying the country, but sheer willpower of just, I'm going to power through and learn this language, seeing how you're surrounded by so many people who didn't speak English. Yeah, yeah, that was just it. And I, I like it. I like learning languages. Yeah. I, I admit it. I think it's a lot of fun. And, and in a way, Icelandic has been sort of a hobby. I mean, that's the way I think somebody should look at a language. Some people look at it as work, and some people look at it as dread, and some people <laughs> just love it. But... To me, you just make it a hobby. Yeah. And, and you're always learning something. It's a lot of fun. Agreed. That is how I look at it as well. Yeah. If, I, if I was forced to learn it, I think it would be a much different experience. And I've always, you know, in life, enjoy the things I choose. But language in particular has always been in the back of my mind. It's like, you uh-huh. have to do this. It feels good. You yeah, know? yeah. So, it, it feels good. And, and you're always learning. Mm-hmm. And there's always something new. And I think that's part of slightly being a, a, a and, you know, a, a a foreigner in a country when your native language is something different, mm-hmm. I, I think you're always learning. Um, what I notice is that uh, when I'm here in Iceland for a long time, speaking Icelandic, and then I go back and I, tr- uh, I find that my, uh, my syntax, you know, my, my sentence structure mm-hmm. changes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know exactly. I'm putting the adjectives in the wrong place. <laughs> and, and I, you know, somehow, somehow that's how the brain works. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you have the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. I've actually thought yeah. about writing a blog post about the yeah. fact that I feel like my English is, being, is changing yeah. if I'm immersed too much in Icelandic. And I, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's huh. a funny thing that my brain will start to put it yeah, away yeah. in old English. So technically my English is fine. It's the yeah, way yeah. it was originally supposed to be. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there is this, your brain is of course piecing things together and the switch, the wires can get a little crossed. So absolutely. Um, but that makes it even more fun to some degree because you're just like, hmm, 
what else is changing with your brain in order to adapt to this? You know, like right. I, I think it's a, I take it as a good thing, even though I, I, I rely on English for work. So it's probably good that I like yeah. keep to knowing how to correctly structure my sentences. But yeah. So those are pretty much all of my questions. Great. And okay. I really appreciate you sitting down. I think this has been uh, one of those moments where a lot of information about you I wouldn't have been able to find online, specifically this type of information, just you know, more about the, what you're doing and why the book was kind of important for you to, to put it out there. And so I do appreciate you sharing that with people, uh, myself, of course, anyone else who listens to this. And I encourage people to pick up this book, whether you're a language buff or an individual who um, is just curious about Old Norse or just history in general. History buffs would love this book because it just gives them a chance now. It's like a, it's like a key. And you can and with this key, it unlocks the ability to get to more stories in an original form. And I think people really enjoy that. And in Iceland, it's mm. such a cool place because people are so proud of their history and their culture. So thank you for kind of making that more readily available to the rest of us in the world who need more <laughs> assistance in order Great. to get to it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just encourage people to pick it up. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs>